You know, as Dee's already set this up, today we are going to continue the sermon series entitled, I Wonder. And we're probing the question today, the easy question, the simple answered question of the will of God. What is the will of God for your life? What is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for our church? And specifically, the United Methodist Church. And I want to address some of the issues related to our larger denomination toward the end of this sermon because for the last several days I've been in Kansas City with 2,500 of my closest friends from 1,400 different congregations all across the globe who've gathered as those who are labeled as centrists and those who are labeled as progressives to address some of the issues that we think um, to be facing church. And I want to say it was such a hopeful gathering, it just such a hopeful gathering in Kansas City, the Church of the Resurrection. And I want to share some of that hope because I think that hope is based on God's will. That's a bold statement, isn't it? I want to explain myself. Today I want to look at God's will through three lenses. And I want to draw on the wisdom of a preacher of old named Leslie D. Weatherhead. Weatherhead was a British Methodist preacher who served in England in the 20th century. Weatherhead was noted for his preaching ministry at City Temple in London, where he served as the pastor for 24 years. He was a prolific writer, wrote many things, but one of his most notable books that's still in print today is a little book called The Will of God. Little book. And in this book, Weatherhead talks about the will of God through three lenses. One, the intentional will of God. One, the permissive will of God. And finally, the ultimate will of God. I want to share with you what he said. First, in addressing God's intentional will... Uh, uh, Leslie Weatherhead goes to the Garden of Eden scene and says about the Garden of Eden that this is God's intentional will. That we would be a people of peace and harmony, of life that is abundant, dependent upon God for all that is good, and being in relationship with God 24-7, That's God's ultimate will. And and that's what Adam and Eve, as the story goes, were subject to. That's what the human condition is subject to. A God who wants the very best for us. A Garden of Eden type experience. But we don't live in the Garden of Eden. Because Adam and Eve, as the story goes, the human condition is rebellious. And we act upon our own will and our own desires. And our God is a God who allows for a permissive will, not wanting us all to be robots, right? Not wanting to program us all, not wanting to coerce our love of God, not wanting to say, I want to make you love me, I want to make you respond to me, but giving us the free will to choose. You know, the nation has been focused on Dallas in the news the last few days, haven't they? About an event that happened months ago. A tragic circumstance. At least we know about the case that bad choices were made and perhaps fueled 
by judgments of others based on race that are instilled in all of us, really. And one innocent man tragically lost his life in his own apartment at the hands of a policewoman who was off duty, who had wandered into that appointment, and who by her free will um, shot and killed him. And she would say, destroyed my own life. She's obviously full of deep regret. But again, we have been made aware of the divides in our country, right? The divides that happen along uh, issues of racism and of people who, um, these differences being highlighted and taken to extremes. And oftentimes when we live into our own will and against God's intentional will, we come to regret our choices. They can ruin our lives. And the third will is the ultimate will of God. We read in the last two chapters of the Bible, the 21st and the 22nd chapters of Revelation, a new kind of um, approach, a new heaven and a new earth, as the author describes it. A time when God's intentional will is ultimately expressed. A time when we read in scriptures, in the book of Revelation, where God dwells with us and that we dwell with God. And in this new heaven, in this new earth, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. You know, God's intentional will leads us to that place. In fact, in the prayer that we pray of our Lord Jesus, we pray, Thy will be done on earth as we hope it will be ultimately one day. We want to be the people who are drying the tears of another, right? We are wanting to be the people who diminish the hurt in life. We are wanting to be the people who um, help people through those times of mourning and crying. That's our call. That's God's intentional will for us. As long as we are here on this earth, it will ultimately one day be perfected. I'd like for us to turn in our Bibles to Romans, the 12th chapter. And I want to read a few verses of this one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. Why don't we stand for just a moment out of respect for the Bible and for the teachings. Paul said, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in, in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we are many members, and not all members of the same function. So we who are many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many members in Christ and individual members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Never flag in zeal. Be aglow with the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. And here is the centering verse that I want us to say together. Do not be conformed, say after me, to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Say that with me but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Please be seated. In, in other words, what that centering verse is all about is let the Holy Spirit transform you by changing the way that you think that you may fully embrace God's game plan. God's game plan is the intentional will of God for you, for me, and for His church. Now let me first say this morning that it is God's intentional will that the church be made up of people with different gifts, that there be diversity in the church. That is God's intentional will, that we are not all the same. Paul said in another passage in uh, his letter to the Corinthians, you, you know when he's describing the church as the body of Christ, he says, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Or the foot can't say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It takes all of us to make the body whole. So diversity in the body of Christ is part of God's plan, God's intentional will. And in pursuing God's intentional will, God's game plan, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Paul wants us to realize that it is this mixture of gifts that, that makes the body what it's called to be, that makes us more gifted as we go into the world. And we as the church should be constantly looking for ways that we can use our gifts to bring about good and to bring about love and to uplift Christ among our brothers and sisters. 
And the second thing I want to say about this passage this morning is that God's game plan has a slogan that centers us on how we play in the world. Now, one of my favorite memories that I thought about last week was, uh, was watching our son, Zach, when he was in high school. He's 33 now, so that was a while ago. He played baseball. And one summer, he played for a baseball team called the Dallas Patriots, and they had 50 games that summer. Uh. But I remembered that before the Dallas Patriots took the field, before they went to their positions that they were uniquely gifted for, that, that they had this rallying slogan. They gathered together and the coach led them in this slogan. All for one and one for all. United we stand, divided we fall. And then they took the field. Not all of them were pitchers or catchers. Not all of them had the gifts to play center field or the speed. Not all of them were second basemen or shortstops. They were a team. And united they would stand and divided they would fall. Now Paul had his own way of saying who the church is to be related to a slogan. Now I'm going to lead us in a little litany. It's going to come up. And I'm going to say the part of the leader and I want you to, to fill in the blank with the part of the people. Let love be. Hate what is. Hold fast to what is. Love one another with. Outdo one another in. Okay, let's take the field. Let's take the field. That, that's the rallying cry. That, that's the slogan under which we find our unity as the body of Christ. That's God's game plan. For all of us, individually and as the church, that is God's intentional will for us. That we, would, that we would let love be genuine and hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good and love one another with mutual affection and outdo one another in showing honor. The final thing I want to say I think it's really important for us to understand what it means to not be conformed to the world. We have to know that the church's only opponent, only opponent, is not flesh and blood. It's not another sister or brother of another denomination or one in your own church that you don't see eye to eye with. The only opponent, the only opponent of the church is evil evil and we're called to unite around the way we attack evil because evil is always taking us from the intentional will of God always and more than that it always seeks to do harm you know what the number one rule of a United Methodist is goes all the way back to the 1700s John Wesley said live by these simple rules and the first one is this do no harm and evil always seeks to do harm. Have you seen the opponent lately? And, and, and perhaps more important, what would the opponent recognize the church as a threat? 
Did you hear me? Would evil recognize the church as a threat? And I hope that evil wouldn't just scoff at us and, and see that we are just the people so consumed by our own wills and our own desires to be right and our own divisions and our own separation from one another that we can't even find time to fight evil. The church we are called to be is one called to live into the intentional will of God, to seek God's game plan for us, and to see the only opponent being evil. And as the church, personally, when we see another person who is lured into the abuses of their own bodies through drugs or alcohol or sex or who have these overwhelming um, influences of evil on their lives, whatever they may be, and they see themselves being destroyed, we the church are called to intervene with genuine love and care and compassion and to fight evil for our sisters and with our sisters and brothers. And when we see evil in the form of classism or racism or sexism, we have to hit these forces with all that we have. We have to realize the forces of evil are present in telling God's children that they are less than precious. We have to unite loudly in attack of these voices that say you are not a precious creation of God. When we see injustices going on and see blindness to human need, we have to open our eyes and open the eyes of, of others through our decisive and pointed actions. And we can expect the empowerment of the Holy Spirit when we do. Because the Holy Spirit's in this fight with us. We are not alone. The Holy Spirit is always luring us to that intentional will of God, to God's game plan. And so when we confront evil in whatever form it presents itself, we are confronting evil through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that sometimes people join hands with evil without even knowing it? Even the church can do this. And when it does, it needs to be called out and it must repent. How do we attack evil when it raises its head? How do we attack that which would lure us away from the intentional will of God for your life and mine and for our church? In God's game plan, we attack it with goodness and kindness, with prayer and with worship, with words of comfort. And words that confront and expose with acts of love and mercy and justice. That's the intentional will of God. You know, I mentioned that the last uh, several days I was in Kansas City with 25 other, 100 other people from 1,400 congregations. And I want to say it was a beautiful and uplifting meeting, one that was full of hope. But it was one that was also, there was this kind of sadness that was 
uh, over the larger conference because we know that our denomination is on the cusp of division and is way off the intentional will of God. There are those in our church who are called traditionalists who want to be in a church where people hold the same views that they do and they don't want to be in a church with people who hold differing views related to inclusion regarding the LGBTQ sisters and brothers in our faith. And as you know, others and I have been working on keeping our denomination together, believing that it's okay that we find ourselves in different places in this large, probably the most diverse mainline denomination the world has ever known, the United Methodist Church, some 12 million strong. And so many sibling denominations that also adhere to the teachings of Wesley. Some 80 million strong. We are all committed to seek a movement of the Holy Spirit to do no harm. Some want to, be, to stay together as United Methodists and some of the more conservative and uh, coalition and even some on the far, far left of progressive would like to see the church amicably separate. Now the language has gotten a little bit um, confusing because they say this is not an, a disillusion of the church. We just want there to be three different children birthed. It's not like a divorce. It's more like the birthing of children. Triplets, right? There's going to be a traditional denomination and a centrist denomination and a progressive denomination. And the plan that promotes this is a plan that um, is called the Indianapolis Plan or the Indy Plan that in essence dissolves the United Methodist Church except for the boards and agencies. Now the traditionalist in our denomination in the United States makes up about 20 to 25 percent of the church. The progressives on the far left would make up about 5 percent. So the rest of us, some 70 or so percent, are what's called the centrists or the progressives. And we're the ones who would like to see the church stay together based on this intentional will of God. That we don't all have to see eye to eye on everything. That God uses us in the midst of our diversity. That our strength as a denomination is that we see our mission fields differently and we approach them differently. That church is different in the pine hills of a rural Georgia town than it is in downtown San Francisco. That the church in Dallas is different than it is in Pilot Point. And that we have the same mission but different approaches because the people we're called to serve are different. And so these who won the day in February by basically selling our African and our Filipino and some of our European delegates that the centrists and progressives wanted to destroy the church and live outside of Scripture. And they stirred the fear and they lifted the slogan, we have to keep our United Methodist Church traditional. And so recently they went to Nairobi to talk to our African sisters and brothers about their new plan. And they said, well, it's not dissolving the church, but nobody can be called United Methodist. And there's going to be a traditional branch and a centrist branch and a progressive branch. And the good news for you, African sisters and brothers, is you get to go with us. And the boards and agencies 
that the Africans love and have always supported because that's who supports their mission. The boards and agencies, they said, they go with the centrists. And the Africans called foul. And they said this, and we need to hear it. In the first place, we had nothing to do with formulating this plan. We were just told about it. Secondly, we, have, we love being United Methodist, and other United Methodists across the world are our sisters and brothers. And thirdly, we love our boards and agencies, and what they do and what they stand for is important to our global mission. And fourthly, we will not be told where we are going to be aligning or going and fifthly, we will not continue to be treated as mere votes. And that's increasingly what it feels like. And finally, we will not dissolve the United Methodist Church. And so the plan looked like disillusionment to them too. But it also looked like a neo-colonialism that has as its root racism and they said loudly and clearly not just to the traditionalist but to all of us the United Methodist Church in the USA stop it stop it don't dehumanize us stop it I believe if the United Methodist Church has a future, we are going to have to live into our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit transform the world. We have to listen intently to African and Filipino and other global sisters and brothers they have something important to say. We have to request that they hear us on how hurtful to so many our language and our book of discipline is regarding to human sexuality. And they're not going to hear that unless we sit down at table and first listen and then ask to be heard. And we need to shout with them, no dissolution of our denomination, no Indy plan, no Jones-Bard plan, and all these other plans on the right and the left. We need to ask the Africans and other global leaders to help us form a plan that will allow for as much unity as possible in our denomination. And we need to continue to rally around our missional boards and agencies for the mission that they provide is so crucially important. And we need to work for the U.S. to be its own regional conference and work with the same autonomy that is afforded to our global sisters and brothers in the different continents where they are located. And we need to name colonialism as evil. And we need to join hands together to fight racism in whatever form it presents itself. People are not votes. 
They're not to be told what to do without input or a seat at the table. And we need to form a new way forward. You know, I would hate for, as the pastor of Lover's Lane, to find myself addressing our congregation that's met in nine different services today. How many of you would go with us if we become the traditional, don't raise your hands, if we become the traditional United Methodist Church? How many of you would go with us if we were the centrist United Methodist Church? How many would, you, would go with us if we are the progressive United Methodist Church? And then look around. Because some of the people you see would not be a part of our church. Or would we want to buy into the intentional will of God? And the body of Christ, as Paul described in Romans and Corinthians, a body with many parts. We can't say to the hand, we don't need you. We're looking for all feet around here. Or to the eye, we don't need you. We want to be a collection of only ears. You know, our church faces a unique opportunity. To be the church. To embrace diversity. In the name of the one who wrote the book on it. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who didn't die for some, but who died for all. And all means all. And the problem with being a church that draws circles... And says, only the people who are like us can be part of this church and come into the circle. You can never draw the circle small enough. We would best be people who seek the intentional will of God. To embrace the body of Christ as Christ intended it to be. And to see our sisters and brothers as teammates in our fight against evil. And anything that would destroy the intentional will of God. Amen.